Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia. We will discuss Tim LaCastro the entire time. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Obviously, the news broke many hours ago. Uh, Pete and I are recording this after the afternoon show I did with Craig, in which we spent many, many an hour talking about Carlos Correa, who signed with the Minnesota Twins. I want to apologize to the audience of Rico Bronia for two things. Number one, the fact that I, yes, had to put the afternoon show first and do the show first and then record a Rico in talking about Carlos. And number two, I got to own where I'm wrong. We like to brag when we're right, but we got to own when we're wrong. I had said repeatedly last couple of Ricos we did that I had a confidence this would work out. That I had a confidence that the Mets and Correa would work a deal out. It would probably be 12 years, 315, but they put a lot of protections in it. And it didn't happen. I was wrong. I think I even said, quote, I don't expect to wake up one morning and see him sign with the Minnesota Twins. Well, we didn't wake up to it, but he did sign with the Minnesota Twins. So I'm wrong. Um, I think I laid out my reasons when I mentioned it, when we talked about it, which was I thought that Correa wanted to be here. I thought the Mets would be more aggressive in trying to keep him. But the one caveat that we always had was none of us saw this MRI. None of us are also doctors. I guess some of us are doctors. Maybe there are some doctors listening. I'm not a doctor. I don't know what the metal plate in his ankle means. I don't know if it means he's going to be lucky to get through three years or five years or eight years. I have no idea. We are at a point, though, as Met fans, where we actually have to trust the organization we root for after many, many years of not trusting the organization we root for. After many years of injuries being cited as reasons why they wouldn't sign a particular player, a la Vladimir Guerrero, that obviously was never going to be the case with this team and with this owner. The Mets did not spend 19 days hoodwinking us. That didn't happen. Like, I guess there are some Mets fans that may actually think that, but that's not the case. Steve Cohen was excited. He thought he had a coup, the Mets signing Carlos Correa. That's why he mistakenly ran to John Heyman and did an interview prematurely before there was ever a physical. I think Steve Cohen wanted Carlos Correa to be a Met. Why else is he offering Scott Boris 12 years, 315? But you have to trust the people around you that know more. That's what all great leaders do. That's what I would assume great businessmen do. So Steve Cohen had to listen to the doctors. And clearly, based on 19 days based on what the Mets ultimately offered Carlos and based on not signing him, they saw enough concern in the plate in his ankle to say, we're going to walk away. Even if this guy is, quote, the final piece to the puzzle. That's what Cohen thought. Even if we thought this puts us over the top. And so as this was going on, as much as, and I want to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not trying to pivot here. I wanted the Mets to sign Carlos Correa. For the same reason most of us did. He's a good baseball player. He's a very good baseball player. He makes the Mets better. I can't see his MRI. I can't predict the future. But I know what he is as a baseball player. So I spent the 19 days hoping this would work out. But I also understood for these 19 days, boy, if it doesn't work out, 
I can't be furious. I can't assume that the owner was pulling a Wilpon from two decades ago where, ah, Vladimir Guerrero has a bad back. This owner was not looking for reasons not to make the deal. So it's weird because I've seen a lot of reactions since this thing broke. And you've got, obviously, the extremes on both sides. You've got the side that is pissed off, that is angry, that says, F you, what are we doing? LOL Mets, same old Mets. Devastated. I'm not that guy. I'm not going to be angry at the Mets for looking at his metal plate in his ankle and saying, maybe we shouldn't guarantee 12 years. Maybe we're not even comfortable with six years. But I also don't want to be that other guy. I don't want to go to the other extreme and lie to you and say, no big deal. Yeah, no, I'm happy. Mets dodged a bullet. I can't say that. That'd be a lie. I don't know if they've dodged a bullet. None of us know how this is going to work out for Carlos and how it's going to work out for Minnesota. And that's why I thought how I would feel is how I feel. I'm disappointed. I'm not angry. I'm not even mad at Scott Boris. I'm not mad at Carlos Correa. You know, we could all make those dopey lines of, oh, enjoy the cold weather, Carlos. Enjoy not winning, Carlos. Sure, we could all be bitter little bitches. That's fine. You could do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm also not going to yell at Steve Cohen. I'm going to yell at Billy Epler. It's one of those situations that just sucks. It sucks that for 19 days we were teased. For 19 days, I don't know about you, I was doodling out Met lineups. I was thinking, ooh, I could put this guy over here and this guy over there. I even was playing baseball with my uh, oldest son, Jet, when it was warm a week ago, and he was doing what he normally does. Oh, I'm Brandon Nimmo. Oh, I'm Francisco Lindor. I even said, ah, Jet, you want to be Carlos Correa? That's because I'm a schmuck. I know that. But there's disappointment today. There's disappointment tomorrow. I mean, there's there's disappointment, and that's okay. So I don't think you need to be on one extreme side or the other. Like, I was getting feedback from not a lot of people, some people who were mad when I said I'm disappointed. How could you be disappointed? He's got a plate in his ankle. That's I'm not being literal of I just would have given him 12 years, 315 blindly. I'm saying that when we woke up on December 21st, to the news that Carlos Correa was going to be a Met, we were all excited. We were pumped up. And I remember even saying on the Rico, and it wasn't a knock on him, he's not a great player. He's a very good player. I know what he is as a player. And I was excited about it. We all were, I think. So because the MRI on his ankle revealed this plate, and the Mets had the same concerns the Giants had, doesn't mean I have to say, God, I'm glad it didn't happen. Because I didn't feel that way for the last two weeks. I kept hoping to refresh Twitter and see, okay, we got a reworked deal. The Mets have the protections that make them feel comfortable, and let's go. And it didn't happen. So sometimes we always have to be on one extreme side or the other. I think my, my feeling right now, and I do think it's the majority of Mets fans, is a measured feeling, which is I understand them walking away. I get the fears that they had but I'm disappointed he's not a New York Met. And it also bothered me how I found out. On a personal level, I was in my office talking to the uh, big, big boss around these places about normal stuff, nothing crazy. He was actually jabbing at me to uh, go after Boomer and Geo for making fun of my list I made around big New York sports moments that should be promos. So I said, you got it, architect. I'll, I'll respond. And as that was happening, Big Mac, our fine board op slash Yankee douche, walks into the office to say, did you hear? And right then and there, I thought, oh, crap. What the hell did I not hear? What is it? And he told me it's about Carlos Correa. And I had a few seconds to digest. Okay, I'm about to get the news. Our nightmare is finally over. Good or bad, I'm going to know. And with that little Yankee douche smile, he told me, he signed with the twins. And obviously, I digest it. I see the contract, and I'm disappointed. I said it to Big Mac. I said it to the architect. I said, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed. I'm not crying. I'm not screaming. I'm not yelling. I'm disappointed. That's how I felt. Now, Pete Hoffman was producing Tiki and Tierney. Speaking of Yankee douches, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think Tiki's a Yankee douche uh, or Brandon. 
you're doing a show. I don't think Correa was the big story at this point because it continues to just be the same rumors over and over again. How did you take it? How did you take the news, Pete? Uh, well, I elected not to talk for about five minutes. I needed some time to like, – because we came out of a break and it just hit. And I fed it to BT and he kind of came on air with it. And I just sat there staring at Passon's tweet going, this can't, this can't be right. Now, this, this can't be right. Because you see the figures, you see the numbers. And I, I got a little agitated. But the one thing I said to myself, and this is what BT kept on saying. He's like, wow. When the numbers came out that, that the Mets offered $156 million guaranteed for six years. And the Twins offered him the $200 million, They're like, wow. Cohen didn't come hard at him at all. Like he, he could have easily made up that forty million dollars. He didn't do it. Wow, it's interesting. And I'm like, I'm gonna guarantee you. And I know it doesn't make a difference in the end, but I'm like, I'm guaranteeing you. In the end, it's still gonna be the twelve three fifteen that they originally offered. It's just gonna have a lot of different stipulations. And I was right with that. So in the end, Cohen still came above and beyond what he thought was right. And the one thing where I disagree with you on, as I'm thinking about it overall. I do and know it's business. I do get it's business. I feel a little duped by Boris. He had Correa and the twins in his side pocket the whole entire time. And he kept pushing Cohen. Obviously, they want listen, overall they wanted to go to the Mets. You know they did. They wanted to go to the Mets. But Cohen wouldn't budge. So they worked this language and tried to make it work. And they went above and beyond to make that work to get 12 years, 315. And in the end they said, guarantee money, that's where we're gonna go. I I think that Scott Boris gave the Mets every opportunity to make a deal, though. You know, unlike the Giants, where he immediately pivoted and had a deal with the Mets, it sounded like the Mets were exclusively negotiating with Carlos for most of these 19 days. Obviously, at some point, if you're his agent, you have to say, hey, we got to open this up to other teams. Like, it's been two and a half weeks. We don't have a deal, so... I don't really have an issue with that. You know, at some point you have to open it up to another team, don't you? You do, but this is the problem I have is it's like, I I think, here's my problem, is again, overall the Mets gave the most money and they just weren't giving in to the guarantee part. Now, there's stipulations with that Minnesota Twins contract too. He's got to hit certain things for those vesting options to hit. It's not like it's just like, oh, here you go, we're giving you money. Okay, so here's the differences in that, because you did bring up a really interesting point that we need to examine. Before we get to how years 7 through 10 would be guaranteed for Minnesota and how potentially the Mets years 7 through 12 or 7 through 10 would be guaranteed, let's look at these first six years. The Minnesota Twins outbid the New York Mets. That's just a fact. Or at least that's what's being reported. Nothing is really fact. The Twins got him on a six-year, $200 million deal. That's $33.3 million per season. The Mets' offer was six years, 157. The Mets offered the same amount of money per year as they initially offered. So I get it. I get what BT was thinking in that moment. Hey, the, the Twins came after Correa harder. They did on an average annual salary. The Mets didn't change anything. The Mets offered him the same amount of money per year that they were initially offering him. They just offered it over six years. Now, how those remaining years got guaranteed was different. From what I understand, the Twins were offering, hey, you get 501 plate appearances, the following year is guaranteed. There's a report the Mets were basically saying Correa had to take a physical every year. That, That was a part of it. But before we even get into those years, the Mets offered less. And it's fair to say, why? It's Steve Cohen. We have been conditioned to think money is no object. And it's a fair question to ask. Hey, how come the Mets offered 6157 and the Twins offered 6200 How come the Mets offered $26.2 million and the Minnesota Twins offered 33.3? Here's my educated guess on that. I think that because the Mets are so far over this tax, they're in the Steve Cohen tax, they're paying 90% tax on anything they spend, which means the Mets aren't spending $26 million a year on Carlos Correa. They're spending $50 million a year on Carlos Correa, at least for the first couple of years when they're clearly over the Cohen tax. And I think that the Mets have shown you 
during this offseason, especially with the Nimmo contract, that while they're willing to spend big, Cohen has proved that, he wants the AAVs to be lower. Even the reported Correa contract, the AAV was not that high. It was rel- It was what they just offered. And so I think the reason the Mets didn't go six years 200 is because they didn't want to pay Carlos Correa an AAV of $33 million. That they view him as a player, as a really good player. They don't view him as a guy that should be paid $50 million a year when you include tax. Do they say it's okay to pay him a little bit less with the 26 compared to the 33 factoring in the taxes? Yeah. And by the way, it's an educated guess because I can't think of any other reason. You know what I mean? Like he spends a lot of money. This isn't the will ponds. So you got to dive deep and say, okay, why were they willing to spend this and not this? And that's my thinking on it. They wanted the AAV to be that number, the same number that they had committed on the hypothetical 12 year 315. They never offered Carlos Correa 30 plus million dollars a year on an AAV. Twins did, Mets didn't. See, I get that. And it, I always said that the, the whole judge thing, like, you know, you got, you could offer him like $400 million and front load the whole thing. It's a different situation. No, we're talking about, you're right. They were in a high luxury tax with the Steve Cohen tax. So for that part, yes, I, I, I could agree. I don't understand how he didn't budge. But on the other hand, rest on his laurels, he offered, he offered a contract that in the end would match his 12 315. Twins, twins went lower, lower overall. Like they yeah. originally had an offer on the table for 10, 285, and it was 10 for 270. So, Cohen, like I always said, like I trust Cohen. I, for however you want to say how he positioned the money, in the end, it still came to that. Now, you're right. It, it, it was, could he have done more? I'm not going to blame Cohen for anything. I'm not going to get upset about Cohen in this situation. I'm disappointed he's not here. I think overall, it's a crappy situation. But I think our our people did their job. Yeah, it's really difficult to predict a guy's future health-wise. You know, so it's not an exact science. You know, you can be the greatest doctor in the world, and you can see an issue uh, that could cause concern, as Correa's ankle does because there's a plate in it. There's no way to know if it's going to blow up after four years, five years, two years, or nine years. None of us know. So the Mets clearly drew a line in the sand on what they were comfortable with doing that that's that's really what it comes down to and by the way he's he's probably going to be great for these next six years that's probably going to be that's going to be something that we're going to look at like how heavy how how good he is for six years i don't think that's a problem i'm not concerned about his health for the first six it's the back end it's really comes down to you know why we may not look at it because if the mets are pivoting not necessarily this year and we'll get to that in a second but if long term, you know, they do sign Manny Machado or they sign Shohei Otani or whatever other big sexy move they make in the future, that's going to cause us to not pay attention to it. We're just not because they've already moved on to something else, something else that's shiny. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think what's also frustrating in terms of the pivot is that there really isn't anything to pivot to. You know, if you wanted something big and sexy, there are other moves to make, and we'll get to those, but they're all minor. They're all minor, minor moves. Nobody is on the same level as Correa. So there isn't this other guy that we as Met fans can look to and say, ah, F Correa, go sign him. That guy's not out there. You know, I've heard this theory of, Boy, when Steve Cohen gets angry, he'll do something big. He got mad at Steven Matz's agent. He signed Max Scherzer. He got mad at Jacob DeGrom's press conference or whatever. He signs Verlander, Senga, Quintana, even though I know the timetable on that isn't accurate. But the point is this idea 
that Cohen gets mad. I don't want Steve Cohen to get mad right now because there is no free agent to sign. And the one thing I don't want to see him do, and this would make him a bad owner, this would make me question him and turn on him, and he hasn't done this yet, is demanding his GM go trade for that guy. And I don't care the cost. Because that was the bad of George Steinbrenner. We like to talk about Cohen being the new George Steinbrenner. There was good Steinbrenner. There was bad Steinbrenner. Bad Steinbrenner was Jay Buhner for Ken Phelps. Bad Steinbrenner was trading Doug Drabeck, was trading Jose Rijo. I know this is all a long time ago, but that's when bad Steinbrenner existed. There was no bad Steinbrenner in the late 90s because he had this great core. They spent a lot of money and all was good in the world. I don't want, and I don't have any reason to believe Cohen is this guy, by the way. I'm just saying, you know, because people want angry Steve Cohen. I don't want an angry Steve Cohen making a dumb trade. And again, not worried he's going to do that. I don't want to see the Mets say, ah, boy, we missed that on Correa. Okay, we'll show the world and make some dopey blockbuster trade. A good blockbuster trade I'm down for, but not a dopey one. And I've said this since the beginning of the offseason. I don't want to trade my top prospects. The Mets have a lot of top-end, ready-to-play-in-the-major-league prospects that are soon not even going to be prospects because they've graduated. The Francisco Alvarez, Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mauricio's tearing up the Winter League. I wonder what that does to his value. But I'm not trying to trade those guys. I'm not in a rush to trade them. And so I don't want to see that happen. So I don't want to see the Mets pivot in some kind of crazy way. Next year, with free agents, and we all know the names, of course. And I expect, and I always have, that the Mets are going to be in on everybody now. That's the world we live in. That's what's different about the Mets. That's why I regret tweeting the new evil empire has arrived when they thought they signed Correa, but I don't because they're going to be that team. What sucks for us is that that's not happening tomorrow. That's not happening this offseason. That's something that's going to happen next offseason. And obviously, the trade deadline, they could be aggressive. But as we saw last year, they don't want to trade their top prospects. I don't blame them to a degree. So the real evilness of the empire is going to come with money. And it's going to come in spending. And yeah, do I expect them to be heavily interested in Shohei Otani like I did six months ago? Yeah, that's who we are now. And that's great. That's fantastic. But the idea, and I know this is going to disappoint you and a lot of other Met fans, that they can go do something that matches signing Correa, it's not happening. It's not out there. No, I, I, I am on your page with that too. Like I've never once thought like, okay, we can, we're going to pivot to this. We're going to, the only person that you can really make a move for is Devers because they didn't guarantee that contract. Oh, but stop. anyway, <laughs> but no, but the reality is you I, I am in, we are in no position as Mets fans or Mets organization to deplete our, our young talent that we have. We don't have enough. So I don't want to make that move either. There's no free agents available. Maybe there's a veteran right-handed bat somewhere that you can possibly bring in, plays the infield, like play third base. Like I, you know, I was always thinking like Evan Lagoria for a cheap contract. Obviously he's, he's picked up already, but I was thinking something like that, but there's, that's that's literally it, and I don't expect much more, and I'm fine with it, and that's okay. I, I You can't be desperate now to go and be stupid. No, no, and, and we were having – it's funny. We were having these discussions prior to Correa signing, this idea that they need to add another bat, and my guy was Brandon Drury, who obviously is off the board. Your guy was J.D. Martinez. That was the discussion we had. We put it on pause because we thought they signed Correa. J.D. left. He got his deal with L.A., Drury signed his deal with Anaheim. They're still Anaheim. And we were both like, oh, crap. I lost my guy. You lost your guy. Oh, we got Correa. Who gives a crap? Those guys are off the board, but we can get back to that discussion. I know it sucks to have that discussion after you thought we had Correa. And that's the point. Like, we all know who the names are. You know, Jerickson, Profar, Brian Anderson, Tommy Pham, Trey Mancini, Andrew McCutcheon, Adam Duvall, guys like that. Like, those are the names, and we can go in-depth on them. They're not Correa, and I know that that's disappointing. So for the stargazing fans, for the casual fans, for the Yankee fans who are mocking us, they will mock any of those guys being signed. And they don't have to be Carlos Correa, because I want to make something very, very clear. The Mets were never in need of a third baseman. They weren't. They were not in need for a third baseman. 
They have a guy in Eduardo Escobar who tore it up in September. He was incredible. He was their best hitter in September and had huge clutch moments. But that's really not my lead. My lead is they have Brett Beatty. And people can mock that all they want. Brett Beatty is not Dilson Herrera. Brett Beatty is not Anderson Hernandez. Brett Beatty is the top third base prospect in baseball. That's not me saying it. It's not Billy Epler saying it. That's Baseball America saying it. So the Mets were never in need for a third baseman. I was always comfortable with the idea of Beatty and Escobar and to a degree, Luis Guillerme sharing time at third base. They do need to add a bat. The question then becomes, okay, where? Like, where are you playing that guy? And to me, there are two positions, left field and designated hitter. Those are the two positions where I can see the playing time working out. Mark Hanna is a fine player. He doesn't have to play every, every single day. He also can shift over and play center. He can also shift over and play right because Starling Marte is not going to play every day. So you need depth in the outfield. We'll get to LaCastro in a second. I'm very excited about that. But you see what I'm saying? Like you can add a left fielder and that guy can get plenty of at-bats. DH, we're still trying to figure out, okay, who's getting the at-bats at DH? If Beatty breaks through, he could get a lot of at-bats at third base and DH. Eduardo Escobar, if he's hitting as well, can play DH. Daniel Vogelbach ripped up right-handed pitching. I've got no problem with him getting a significant amount of at-bats. Ronnie Mauricio has got to be on everybody's radar because the guy is tearing up winter ball. I think he won the uh, Dominican League MVP, if I'm not mistaken. Mark Vientos against lefties is an option. Francisco Alvarez has to be an option. I know some Met fans were upset. We haven't addressed this yet. That Anthony DeComo, great Met reporter, suggested it's likely Alvarez starts at AAA. We pointed that out a few weeks ago as a possibility after they signed Narvaez. But maybe with no Correa, you can see Alvarez's bat playing as a DH. So they've got a lot of different options, but they could use another right-handed bat, especially because I mentioned Vogelbach does crush right-handed pitching. That's where a guy like Adam Duvall does make sense. Trey Mancini's got reverse splits. So I know Mancini's a guy people like, and he does give you position versatility. He did nothing for the Astros last year, by the way. Not that I want to panic about that, but he also doesn't crush lefties. He's actually better against righties than lefties. Uh, Jerickson Profar, I'll tell you why that doesn't appeal to me. If you look at the Met offense a year ago, that was fifth, which I've pointed out, even though people don't want to hear that. They ranked fifth in Major League Baseball in runs per game. Their biggest deficiency was power. That was their biggest problem. Now, having Vogelbach for a full year, having potentially Alvarez for a full year, you've got a chance to certainly have more pop. Already, right off the top, they should hit more home runs. But the Mets were a below-average team at hitting the ball over the fence. That's what they were statistically. They scored a lot of runs. They didn't hit enough home runs. So when you talk about adding a bat, I would prefer a guy that hits the ball over the fence, hence Adam Duvall. Hence why when you talk about all these names, Profar, Gurriel, Pham, Mancini, McCutcheon, uh, Duvall is actually my preference. He mashes lefties, and he hits a ton of home runs. And that's what this offense needs. Right now, that is the fit for this offense. But trust me, I get it. Adam Duvall is a buzzkill after you thought Carlos Correa was going to be on this team. And I absolutely fully understand that. But at some point, we have to have these discussions. Like, we could sit here and just, Correa, 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 it sucks, it sucks, I'm disappointed. Eventually, you got to move on. He's not a Met. Now, there was a lot of mocking today. A lot of Yankee fans mocking us. And maybe some of us deserve that mocking. I don't know. I don't know what you said after they signed Correa. Hoffman's a real crap talker. So God knows what you were saying after they signed Correa. I, I, di- I did not. I swear. I was very subtle with my jabs. Uh, no, I did not. I Listen, I'm... Ex- I'm not thinking about the Yankees. That's the problem. Like, I might have said the evil empire thing was – I don't think that was a negative uh, jab at the Yankees in particular. It was overall baseball. And I still think you're you're accurate with that statement. So it's nothing – I never once attacked the Yankees. I just was excited about my team and what we're looking forward to in the future. By the way, there's a name that you neglected to mention as far as uh, free agent, right-handed batter. Go ahead. What am I missing? Now, he had a bad year last year, but he has pop. He's a right-handed power hitter. His name is Nelson Cruz. 
Any chance? Nah, I neglected him because I got few issues. First of all, I mean, isn't he like 42 years old now? Yeah, yeah. he's definitely up there. He's 42 years old. He's going to be 43 in July. All right, so you're talking about a guy who's a 42, 43-year-old player. He looked cooked last year. He looked like he was done. Like, that was it. That's the end of Nelson Cruz. And he offers zero position versatility. You can't stick him in the outfield anymore. You couldn't stick him in the outfield a decade ago when he's costing a team a World Series. So I just think he's a he's a blob. He's a waste. He's a powerful blob. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I do admit he does have pop, if that's the thing that you love. But I don't know, man. I would like a guy that could actually play the outfield Every once in a while. And I just think he's done. Yeah. Like, last year was bad. Know, two years ago, he had 32 home runs, though. I know last year was awful. Last year was awful. But two but years ago, he did it 32 home runs. Plus, he had a decent OPS, batting average, all that stuff. Because Duvall's very low with all the his, – his OPS is fine. But he's batting, what, 200? Well, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Look, dude, I'm not saying Adam Duvall's a superstar. I'm saying Adam Duvall's a guy who can hit home runs. That's – that's my point. Like, he can hit 30 home runs a season. He missed a bunch of time last year, but he had 38 home runs a year ago. You know, you're talking about a guy doing something a year ago, and the difference between Duval and Cruz is like nine years in age. You know, when a guy's 42 and he's coming off a bad year, I'm not one to believe, oh, he'll have a bounce-back season. He's 42 years old. Look at Pujols. Look at Pujols last year. He finished strong. I mean, what, he had like 20 home runs in like two weeks. Come on. Don't give me that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Uh, none of these guys are, are flawless, obviously. But I do think of what's available. Adam Duvall's the best option. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I was very excited, though, that Billy Epler clearly listens to Rico Bronia. And I appreciate that. Because early on during the offseason, and this was early on, and we were talking about guys to add, guys to target, I didn't want to bore you too much with it, but I did mention for a brief pound of time, and I may have asked Pete to pull up the audio just to prove this happened. I did bring up my fascination with stealing Tim LaCastro from the New York Yankees. Tim got a game-winning hit against the Mets a few years ago, if you recall. It's always been like a little bit of a pain in the ass, but he's a real good defensive player, uh, is a perfect put-him-in-off-the-bench-to-steal-a-base kind of guy. Like last year with the Yankees, he went out and stole eight bases. May not sound like a lot, but how often was Tim Castro on base? He was mostly pinch running late in the season. So I like the idea of adding a guy such as that. Take a listen to us talking about the idea of Tim Castro a few months ago right here on Rico Bronia. Uh, so you're talking about another outfielder. And it could be better than a fourth outfielder. Like one guy I like, and he's certainly not a fourth outfielder. He's more of a fifth outfielder. And I'm not joking. Is Tim LaCastro. Like I love adding a really good defender who you can bring in off the bench just to steal a base. I think there's a value to that. You know, late last season, we saw Terrence Gore as a guy just on the roster to come in and steal a base. LaCastro is like that, except he's a little bit better, which means he could actually play once in a while. You could actually have them out there. And this is going to fit perfectly. So the other reason why adding Tim LaCastro is so important is because there's another rule change coming here in Major League Baseball. And uh, last time on the Rico, if you missed it, we got into the pitch clock and its impact and how many guys are actually pitching to those rules and how many guys are going to have to make adjustments and what Mets work fast and what Mets work slow. But one of the things that sort of corresponds with the pitch rule is the fact that each pitcher is now only allowed two disengagements on the mound. That means stepping off or picking a guy off. I look towards the minor leagues and say, okay, they started these rules in the minor leagues. What does that do to stolen bases in the minor leagues? And then obviously you correspond it with the bigger bases. 
The deal with the bigger bases is it's moving from 15 square inches to 18 square inches. Now, what that means is that you are now four and a half inches closer to second base than you were. So think about it. All those bang, bang plays on stolen bases at second, you're now talking about a four and a half inch difference. Logic tells you there's going to be more stolen bases. I looked down at the minor league numbers to see the effect and see, okay, were there a lot more stolen bases? The answer was obviously yes. There were more stolen bases, and it was significant. Stolen bases started sparking in minor league baseball. Was it because of the disengagement rule? Was it because of the pitch clock? Was it because of the bigger bases? Here's all I know, and I'm going to give you the numbers so you can see, wow, okay, that's crazy. Across the minor leagues last season, teams were averaging 1.4 stolen base attempts, and they were stealing 1.1 bases, 1.1 steals per game. May not sound like a huge number, but just to have a perspective on this. So in the minor leagues last year, we were seeing a successful steal, one per game. In the major leagues last year, that number was 0.5, half. So that number has doubled. Are major leaguers going to be even more aggressive? Maybe. I mean, they are major leaguers. You make the major leagues for a reason, not just physical, but mental. So is it possible that that number isn't just going to double, but go up further? Yeah, I think it is possible. And so having a guy on your team that can steal bases, I think is a big deal. Last year, and I'm not talking about stolen bases, I'm talking about stolen base attempts. The New York Mets averaged 0.53 attempts per game. That ranked 23rd in Major League Baseball. It was not a strength. They were towards the bottom. They ranked that same 23rd in successful stolen bases. They did have Terran score late in the year, like I mentioned that old clip. And yeah, a guy like Lindor can steal a base here and there. The Mets were not a stolen base team. Brandon Nimmo never steals a base. For as much as he gets on base, for as much as he's a prototypical leadoff hitter, the one thing he doesn't bring is aggressiveness stealing bases. Could he steal bases if he tried more? Maybe. Carlos Beltran was always fascinating to me. If Beltran wanted, he could have stolen many, many more bases, but I think he liked being efficient. And by the way, efficiency matters. You know, I don't want to see guys thrown out at second base half the time. That's not good. Stolen bases are fine, but you got to use it at an effective level. You're getting thrown out, you know, 40% of the time. That's a disaster. I don't want to see that either. But sometimes you need personnel that fits what these new, new rules have. Tim LaCastro does. Tim LaCastro should be on this team on opening day. Is he a great hitter? No. Is he the definition of a fifth outfielder? Yeah. You got 26 guys on your roster. I want to maximize the crap out of that. And having a guy late in the game that you could put on base in a world in which you are now four and a half inches closer to second base and the bases are big. Forget the four and a half inches. Four and a half inches are great. That sounds weird. <laughs> you, it's really not that great. It's really, no. Depending on who no, you're talking to, most likely not. <laughs> no, I would... Personally, I would not be happy with that. Um, but the disengagement thing's a big deal because let's just use logic on this. You First of all, the pitch clock's down at two. That's why if I'm a pitcher, and I'm certainly not, but if I'm a pitcher, I'm not pitching when the pitch clock's about to expire. The base runner can time me out. He knows. Like, I, I don't know if I love that. So I'd actually be even more aggressive on that clock, which is 20 seconds when there's guys on base, but you only get two disengagements. If you try a pickoff move, all of a sudden, you know, as a base runner, you could be a little bit more aggressive. So I think instead of ignoring stolen bases, which has been going on in baseball for 20 years, you can't because of the new rules. You can't because you're closer to second base. You can't because of the disengagement rule. You can't because of the pitch clock. So I don't know. If they literally signed Tim LaCastro because of the new rules, but I'm telling you right now, I think it matters more today than it would have mattered one year ago having a guy like LaCastro on your team. You know, one thing I did, we, we kind of talked about this last podcast about that, the pitch clock, and we didn't really talk about the importance of Brendan Nimmo with that because one thing he does not do is steal, but he's fast. This could benefit him too. You know, LaCastro is right. It's great. It's it's an, an, another piece to that puzzle that we could use as an asset. But Nimmo gets on base a ton. 
But do yeah, you think I, he's going to steal more? Is that what you're saying? I think it's a possibility. We didn't even take that into consideration at all how effective he could be on the base path now. Yeah, I mean, he he's so weird because, like, you're right. He's a fast guy. I won't say fast. He's a He moves quickly, I guess. He's never stolen more than 10 bases in a year. Nine is his career high. And last year, he was three for five trying to steal bases. So he not only doesn't steal a lot of bases, he's not aggressive. Does this new rule... Not only the bigger bases, but the rule on disengagements cause a guy who has speed to say, hey, I should be more aggressive. Uh, the success rate's going to be higher. It was higher in the minor leagues. It should be higher here. I hope so. Because you want to take advantage of everything. You know what's interesting, though, too? I want to point this out about the uh, bigger bases. So not only are you four and a half inches closer between first and second, you're also closer from home to first. And why that matters is logic would say, if you're a little bit closer, it's 1.5 inches, which is not acceptable, but a number. Um, you have a better chance at an infield hit. Like, why wouldn't you? You are closer to first base because the base is bigger. It's just simple math. Last year, that was a strength of the New York Mets. The Mets had the sixth most infield hits in all of baseball with 131. I would think that that number across the board, not just with the Mets, goes up. But the Mets were a good contact team last year. And that's always a good thing. As much as you want to hit home runs, and the Mets could use pop as we talked about, putting the bat on the ball is a big deal. It's an underrated thing. I think teams have ignored it for far too long. If you are closer to first base, sometimes this crap is just so simple. If you're an inch and a half closer, which means there's more infield hits, there's more of a value of hitting the baseball. There just is. There's more value of putting the ball in play because there will be a handful of plays this season in 2023 that you will beat out for an infield hit that you don't in 2022 because of the regular size bases. And if you don't put the bat on the ball, other than the catcher dropping it, you're not getting to first base. If you put the bat on the ball, there's at least a chance you get to first base. So that's an aspect of this rule that benefits the Mets because this Met offense last year, which was fifth in run scored, didn't hit a lot of home runs, but they didn't strike out a lot. And that was a very big positive thing for this team. And it will only be more positive in 2023. Listen, we, we, uh, that's the one fight that we notoriously got into on, on the uh, TK Junior show was they couldn't understand that it was sustainable to score as many runs as they did and, and to be successful in big-time games. But again, like you said, it, getting the bat on the ball is so huge. That's why Mark Canna had one of the biggest at-bats last year, and all he did was just get a little piece of the ball. That's all he did. And, and he had a, a long at-bat, if I'm correct, too, and he just kept on fouling off pitches and whatever yep. it is. And and that's all I ever asked for anymore. Is like I, That's the big difference. That's why I can't stand strikeouts. I don't, I don't care for the Joey Gallows of the world. No offense to him. Not trying to bring him into play. But like... Home run is a great thing, but if you're just going to strike out close to 70% of the time, then it's not efficient to the entire game. Yeah. So here's the thing with this. There's no exact science to scoring a lot of runs. So, for example, the Atlanta Braves, the team that caught us and won the NL East, had the second most strikeouts in all of Major League Baseball. They did. They had the most strikeouts in the entire National League, but they hit 243 home runs. They overcame it. You saw it in the series against us when they swept us. They had a ton of home runs. It turned out not to matter. The Yankees during the regular season, people made a big deal of it during the postseason when they were striking out a million times to the Astros, but the Yankees overcame their strikeouts by hitting a ton of home runs. And by the way, the Yankees didn't even strike out nearly as much as people think they did. They were not like a top five strikeout team. I think they were like 12th or something like that. So nothing too crazy. So the Braves are the team where, yeah, they struck out a lot, second most in baseball, first in the National League, but they overcame it. They scored a ton of runs. They hit a ton of home runs. Then you have the Astros, the Houston Astros. You know, that team, the team that won the World Series. Every single year, consistently, they're at the bottom of the sport in striking out the fewest. I meant that as a positive, like they strike out the fewest in case I said that in any kind of confusing way. They're always low on that list. They were second to last. There was only one team in baseball that struck out fewer times than the Houston Astros, and it was another playoff team. It was the Cleveland Guardians. And yes, it's been a year. I'm just giving up and calling them Guardians. 
I called him Cleveland all last year. It's just, I'm done. I gave up. I, I tap out, whatever. Uh, so I think that'll benefit them. I think that'll benefit the Astros. It'll benefit Cleveland. It'll benefit the Mets that they're just naturally going to be more infield hit. So putting the bat on the ball is going to be more beneficial in 2023. So that's another rule to keep an eye on. Um, stolen bases have been devalued in baseball over the last couple of years. And you know what's funny about that? One last thing, and then I'll read some of your uh, Carlos Correa emails. What's funny to me about that is speed in baseball, which was such a thing in the 1980s, the St. Louis Cardinals, Vince Coleman, all that, Ricky Henderson, that slows down the game. And think about it. Speed in baseball slows down the game. And yet here we are doing two things. We're trying to add speed back into baseball, but we're trying to speed the game up. So we're going to try to do two things that contradict each other at the exact same time. We want to speed the game up, but we want more speed in baseball, which naturally slows the game down. All right, let's get to some of your Carlos Correa emails. Uh, the Rico B at gmail.com. I apologize if I have not written back to some of these emails. I'm sorry. I got one guy very upset with me because he was asking me a question about politics. And I never wrote him back. I'm sorry. I, pro- I At some point, I'm going to get there. I'm just going to go back and just respond to emails. I'm sorry. I apologize. I don't mean to. All right, let's go to uh, Willie Rifkin. Willis, Willis Rifkin. In reality, I was always pretty mad on Carlos Correa. Heck, if we're going to spend $300 million on a shortstop to play third base, I wanted Trey Turner. By the way, Hoffman's like, yeah, I agree. Damn right. Um, He's right, damn it. If we never went near Correa, all good. No one would have said a bad word about us. But the way we went into it now makes us look really, really stupid. Real LOL, same old Mets stuff. It was a tease. And the cherry on top is the reality that there's not much we can do with what Philly's done this offseason. The 2022 team collapsed and choked. Going into the offseason, we all said we need to keep or replace DeGrom, Nimmo, and Diaz. But we also needed to add something new and dynamic to this lineup So we aren't just rolling out the same group that choked. And we didn't do that. Which is why, no, it's not the same only Wilpon Mets, of course. But in a lot of ways, we can have nice things. And more so, it's another good, but we didn't do enough offseason. That's the Correa rant, as he called it, from Willis Rifkin. There's a lot there. And I understand the disappointment of thinking the guy was on our team and not getting him. Uh, the Trey Turner thing. Let's start there, because Pete loves Trey Turner. You'll want a Trey Turner. They didn't go after Trey Turner. I don't think, Pete, Trey Turner was ever coming here and playing third base. Do you think he was? I agree. I wish, but no. Okay. I had mentioned the idea of him playing center field. That was to replace Brandon Nimmo. That was the idea I had at the beginning of this offseason. Obviously, they didn't replace Brandon Nimmo. They kept him. The thing I never understood, and I've briefly talked about this, was when I think the Athletic wrote the story about Aaron Judge's pursuit and free agency and how he stayed with the Yankees and almost went to the Giants. The the thing about the Mets always bothered me, where the Mets met with Judge's agent and said, hey, you know, we're focused on pitching. That's our priority. If when we're done with that, we'd love to talk to you. We'll circle back. Now, they knew Judge wasn't going to wait around. He didn't. He ends up resigning with the Yankees. I don't understand the Met approach of let's focus on pitching, and then we'll get to the offense. That doesn't make any sense to me if you were going to swim in the big pool and go after a guy like Correa. Because if you were willing to go after Correa, then you're willing to go after everybody. You're willing to pay him 12 years, 355. So if you're willing to do that, then you would be willing to go after Turner. You'd be willing to go after Bogarts, obviously with their willingness to switch positions. You'd be willing to even go after Judge, even though that was never going to happen. I don't like the idea, and it kind of bothers me, that the Mets said, okay, let's do pitching, then we'll get to the offense. And by the time they did that, they were all gone. By the time they circled back and got to the offense, the only elite-level player left was Carlos Correa. So while I agree, Pete, Turner was probably not moving to third base, how the hell would we know? I don't even know if the Mets ever asked him. 
they never asked about center field, third base, second base. They never asked them anything, and that that is a problem. And a, a lot of people were criticizing the, the Mets for not really talking to Judge enough too. Overall, you should be able to to multitask. I think. I mean, you're a big yeah. league organization, so I I I agree. I'm an offensive minded guy. That's disappointing. And I, to the emailer as well, I will agree with him. It does feel like they did a lot. I, I will say the Mets did a hell of a lot because they had to. But it does feel like they didn't do enough to get over that hump. Yeah, I, I, I always thought that the way the Mets were going to improve offensively was going to happen with their young guys making a big impact next year. Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, maybe Ronnie Mauricio and Mark Fiantos. Like That's how I thought this offense was going to add the dynamo. I mean, the Atlanta Braves added Michael Harris from double A in the middle of May. And I know I've said that a lot and it's not exciting and it's sort of boring, but the great teams become great because they develop their own guys. Like you want to add free agents. Don't get me wrong. The Phillies have certainly done it. The Mets have done it, but it has to coincide with your own guys developing. And that's how I thought the Mets offense was going to get better through that. Yeah, and, and I I agree, and I think that's the the, the out like the long term goal is for that. But if you also look at the Braves last year, it wasn't like Harris was called up from day one. It was like yeah, it was right, an injury. Yeah, but it was right, but there was an injury, so it's like okay, well let's let's bring him up. He's do he's killing it in the in the minors, and we had an injury, so let's bring him up. Like the Mets' goal now is let's start. Fresh the season with the young guys up, and I'm like, well, now is the time you could have bulked up in case of an injury. Then you move the the younger guys up. Like you, could I get it. Be flexible. I get it. But when when I hear are the Mets better? Like that's always a common question. First of all, I'd say in the regular season, for the sake of this discussion, we're talking about the regular season, the playoffs. We know the deal. It's a freaking crapshoot. I don't know how they're going to play in October. They can win 110 games and suck in October. They can win 85 games and get hot in October. I have no idea. But in terms of the regular season. If they repeat what they did last year and win 101 games, I'd be freaking thrilled. I'd be thrilled. I'd sign for 101 wins right now. I'd sign for 95 wins right now. So this idea of did they get better? They don't have to get better in terms of what they did in the regular season. They have to get better in terms of not choking in the playoffs or choking in the regular season at the wrong time. So whenever I hear that, I'm always like, well, just be as good. Just, just win as many games as you won last year, and I think most of us should be pretty happy. That's how I view it. Uh, Howie and Flushing. Evan and Pete, I'm okay with the Mets not signing Correa in Steve we trust. This is not the Wilpon era, and Steve Cohn will get things done and make the necessary changes in due time. I'm more pissed at the press with all their speculative yet bold headlines saying the Mets and Correa will definitely happen. I'll say one thing. The Mets sold a lot of tickets when they announced the Correa news two weeks ago. I understand if fans are pissed. Okay, so a couple things about this. I'm sure they sold tickets, but I don't know how to say this. I, you know what? I'm not good to say this because I, I'm a sucker. I go to every Met game anyway. I want to go to Met games every year, no matter what they do during the offseason. But was correct was the rumor of Correa because the Mets never had a press conference, so the Mets didn't announce anything. Cohen announced it, which was a huge mistake. Did that really Pete sell a lot of tickets? I, I think it did actually. I think there was like a I forgot who had it, but I, I don't know the number, so I'm not going to go over the top. But there was definitely a lot of purchases as soon as they found out that Correa was quote unquote coming to the Mets. I think that yeah. was a buzz there, and no, it, it is, sucks. dude. It sucks. I, I Listen, I can't defend that. That sucks. It sucks. You're a fan. You think they signed Correa. That inspires you to buy a package or a few more games. It sucks. I, I should say go wait for the uh, physical, but who the hell does that? You hear a rumor or you hear, excuse me, you hear a deal is made. You just assume the deal's made. You're not assuming it's going to fall apart. So that sucks. I do feel bad for any fan that did that. Yeah, I listen, I'm not, I, I, I openly admit I go to a lot of games, but I don't have a package. I was considering trying to find a way to look into it, like a like a weekday package or something like that, because I'm like, well, you know, why not? Right? Is it preventing me? I know that if Carlos Correa was there, I'd still, I that would definitely do it. You know, wow. it, it, yeah. They won 101 games last year. They had an off season that you're sort of good with. 
and you would not go to games, but if Carlos Correa is there, all right, I'm in. I, I'm more inclined to find a way to get a pack. Listen, here's a problem, though, right? You and I are completely different as far as just our positions in life and, like, kids. Like, I have kids that are older, so I have to go would do a lot of baseball-heavy stuff. So I can't really go to a lot of games. I try to find it when I can. I would go above and beyond to find a way to get to more games with my family. I really would. Okay. My, or if it's just my friend, I respect my that. Yeah, it, it, it's and and because you want to see something special, and that's how I feel. That again, Carlos Correa is not bringing a championship to Minnesota. The Twins. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, Minnesota, he, you're not winning a World Series with him. He's not going to win you a World Series. What I will say is, he could have done that with the Mets. <laughs> Don't do this. Don't do this whole. All right, loser. Go enjoy the cold weather of Minnesota. You had a chance enjoy, to here. Enjoy those long sleeves in, <laughs> in, in July. <laughs> All right. Pete did it for you. As far as the, the way this was covered, I it sucks because Scott Boris and Steve Cohen or the Mets have reasons to eventually leak things out. And when they leak things out, we want to know what's going on. We all click on the John Heyman articles. If you aren't blocked by Andy Martino, you click on the Andy Martino article. So people want information. So we want information, but then we get annoyed when the information turns out to be wrong. And the information isn't wrong. Guys leak things for a reason. Like there's a reason why Scott Boris put certain things out there. There's a reason why the Mets put things out there. And so what I appreciate about Jeff Passan, of all people, is that Jeff Passan, look at his Twitter account. He didn't tweet rumors. He doesn't. He tweets, this is done. Like, he never tweeted about this Correa thing until it was done. So I get being annoyed when, you know, you think Carlos Baerga is telling you something or Jim Bowden tells you something or Steve Phillips tells you something or even John Heyman says, I think he'll be a Met and he's wrong. He's wrong because he's hearing it from people who are leaking out information for selfish reasons, for reasons that they think are going to help them. So I was frustrated too. I'm like you guys. I'm on Twitter. I want the information. I want to know what's going on. But at the end of the day, that information is only out there for a reason. Teams and agents and players are putting it out there for a reason. So... Well, that's something that kind of bothers me a little bit too because you are – we're in the business. We know some of these guys. I respect a lot of these guys. I know people need to get their their information out there. They want to you know, get clicks and all this other stuff. So when I was hearing rumors before there was any buzz on social media and then the social media buzz started going that it's almost a done deal for the Mets, and I'm like, okay, I guess the buzz is right. And then within like minutes, you see Ken Rosenthal, like 40 minutes, Ken Rosenthal puts out an article. I'm like, is he just getting clicks? Is he just trying for something? Like, again, I respect Ken Rosenthal a bit because he's been wrong sometimes and pisses you off. Right. But I, 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 I respect the business. So I'm like sitting there going, I'm torn. I'm like, I know what, what's going on right now. There's definitely, and maybe the Mets really were really close to doing something and they had to put that out there. They had to push, and maybe they were looking for a last-minute thing with the Twins and it came in last minute. Who, who really knows? I, yeah. I don't really know how it fell through, I, but that, that's what bothers me. It does bother me a little bit. No, the, the whole thing sucks. I mean, we want information, but then we get annoyed when the information doesn't turn out to be either the information we want or the information that ends up ruling the day. And what I mean by that is I don't believe reporters – make up stories. I mean, some do, but in general, I don't think these baseball reporters are making up stories. What they're doing is, and this is why being a reporter is tough. They're giving you what some source told them. And that source may be giving them information for a reason because they're negotiating. So that's what sucks. Like when someone gives you information, this is why I'd be a terrible beat reporter. My first response would be, why, why are you telling me this? Like, what's your motivation behind telling me this? Are you negotiating with someone? Am I just a pawn in your stupid game? And that's what a lot of this is. Like, John Heyman, and this is well known, John Heyman is a pawn for Scott Boris. It's been going on forever. Scott Boris feeds information to John Heyman. So Boris is doing it for a reason. Not because he's a nice guy. Not because he likes John and wants to give a scoop 
but because he's going to put the information out there that he wants out there. So I admit I'm a hypocrite. I know this, yet I still want the information, right? I still want to see what John Heyman is tweeting because I want to know what the hell's going to happen. And what we found out is we didn't get what we wanted. I wanted to read a report that said they've worked it out, the Mets have their protections, and it's good to go. And we ultimately didn't get what we wanted. So we could either cry about it, we could either bitch about it, we could either attack Carlos Correa, we could either attack Yankee fans, or we could just move on. And I plan on the very next Rico Bronia that we'll record over the weekend into Monday, we will move on. We will forget that Carlos Correa ever existed because quite frankly, in the annals of Met history, he means nothing. He didn't cheat against us. He didn't beat us in the ALCS. We barely play him. The twins are irrelevant. They're not coming to City Field this year. We're going to there. And so Carlos Correa can continue to be a pimple in Yankee history and now become irrelevant in our history. Okay? That's the bottom line. We appreciate you listening. You can email the pod, and I promise I will do a better job of trying to write people back at the Rico B at gmail.com, the Rico B at gmail.com. And we'll have another Rico Bronya. We always give it to you twice a week. We'll give you another one coming up this weekend. We appreciate you listening. Check out Pete with Tiki and Tierney, where he fights off those Yankee fans, and me with Craig, where I fight off that Yankee fan. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>